Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and the king of Facebook Marketplace, it's Nathan <laughs> A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> hey, Wendy. Fucking hell, Facebook Marketplace is such a nightmare. I never go on Facebook anymore, but now I need, you know, secondhand tables on the cheap. And it turns out there's loads and loads of notifications of people commenting on extra inch posts that I'm tagged in and old friends I haven't spoken to in years messaging me eight weeks ago and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, uh, I mean, what? Oh, fucking hell. I, I, could, I don't want to distract the podcast with tales of Facebook Marketplace, but it's been, it's been a very Maybe long. like have a think of the good ones over the next week. And then next week you can do your top three Facebook Marketplace tales. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Bardi, it's, the, um, it's, the, it's the question when, is it still available? That's what you get all the time. But then you go, yes, and then you never hear from them again. They obviously change their mind. Buddy, thank you so much for stepping up last week. Superb job hosting. <laughs> Don't go away again, Chris, all right? Stay, stay with us because it's, it's really difficult. You learn a whole new appreciation of being able to do multiple multitasking. And I really did feel like Joyberg that I can just do one thing and I can't do anything else. And now that's I've realized my role in this podcast is I'm the Joyberg. I shouldn't try and do the the crossing or the kind of advanced passing. But it's just it's just not me. So I'm glad you're back, Chris. You're you're the Ericsson of the podcast. I'll just go back to being a cement mixer. <laughs> and a massive thank you to Chris Somersell, our mm. our friend and my my uh, co podcaster on Straight Off the Training Ground. Uh, he stepped up, did a fantastic job, some great analysis of that Brighton game thank you Chris we appreciate that I had um had some stuff going on last week which uh which I'll talk about I'll talk about in the future but I'm not ready to talk about it just yet um this month we partnered with Humans of Purpose which is a weekly podcast featuring interviews with purpose-driven leaders whose work is having a positive social impact and making the world a better place Mike's guests come from leading charities, social enterprises, purpose-driven businesses, but also include authors, politicians, philanthropists, and more. It's 
genuinely a really good podcast. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, engage in a partnership with something I didn't enjoy myself. I, I would strongly urge you to have a listen. We've spoken a bit about the episode about rap. It was like, um, you know, cling film and, and industrial rap for palettes. Uh, we also spoke about the... Uh, the black fly larvae protein. They are two really fascinating episodes and they're sort of slightly scientific, but there are other really great conversations as well. I would definitely urge you to search for Humans of Purpose in your preferred podcast player. And if you like the show, make sure you subscribe and leave a review and you can learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Let's talk a little bit about Brentford, possibly the most infuriating Spurs match hmm. of the season. Um <laughs> Starting off the lineups, I was really excited when I saw a lineup. Sessing uh, on for regular, on, and and I thought, yeah, that's just what we need. That's just the ticket. That that will see us right. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was I was interested to see that as well. Reguilón hasn't been performing well. I thought Sessignon could could step up. Uh, yeah, I guess he couldn't. And yeah, it it just Royale. He was the one. It was one. Of, I think it was one of the most frustrating performances I've seen from a Spurs player. And just him and Sessignon just didn't have a good game, didn't have a good time. And I, I don't, I just, I just don't see, I don't see them working ever at Spurs. Royale for sure. Sessignon, something, something drastic has to happen over the summer. He has, something needs to change in, in his mind or in his body because I just don't think he's cut out for it. So when Matt Doherty got injured, I think I said in the podcast that I don't think we'll notice the effects too much, that it's only a small drop off that, um, that, you know, we'll, we'll cope without him. And I kind of still feel like if Doherty was playing, the result would have been the same. I don't think there would have been any difference. Um, maybe there would have been a slight difference in in terms of how we build up. But I, for me, the problem was not so much the the wingbacks per se. It was the the situations we were giving the ball to the wingbacks in the the the. the Basically, where Brighton had completely suffocated our ability to to pass the ball into midfield, Brentford did that in a slightly different way. They they allowed us to play the first pass into midfield, and then they were just all over all over us in terms of the automations. They yeah. they didn't let us play the layback or the ball forward, or when the ball was played forward, it was a really kind of it had to be a really safe pass, which is in front of a defence. And then you know, Sessignon and Emerson were left with multiple men to beat which we know from watching them neither of them neither of them can really beat a man 1v1 let alone two it's just asking players to do things they're not comfortable with doing and I think that that's part of the problem with um, this team when the team does stop the automations effectively there's no there's no kind of maverick there there's no there's no Ndombele to come on and, and be the guy that does something a bit different you've know, got Lucas for, for what it's worth, I mean, I, 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 he's he's a maverick for sure, but you know, fairly ineffective most of the time. If we're being completely honest, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've long believed that the strength of Conte's tactics would be the 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 key component in in leading this squad to the top four, and I felt really confident about that. I felt confident when things weren't going well. I then felt very smug when things were going well. And, you know, we were, we looked odds on to, to finish in the top four. And the last couple of games have just been a bit of a wake-up call. 
Uh, Nathan, what did you think of, of Brentford tactically? I thought they were really, really well prepared, just as I thought Brighton were in a very different way the week before. Um, yeah, the difference there, and you've you've sort of gone into it there, like the difference there is that Brighton really um, denied all access to Sun and Kulisewski. They're, they set up to just constantly uh, block all of the all of the ways in to our front three. Um, whereas Brentford were inviting that pass so that they could pounce on yeah. it a lot and, and read the back pass and turn the t- sun got turned over a lot in that game, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, it's kind of that trap again we're getting into where it's like, um, it's correct to praise how well the, the last two teams have set up against us, but you also have to acknowledge that we're aspiring to be at a level where you blow teams like that away anyway, even if they mm-hmm. come with, with, with some smart mm-hmm. ideas. So I don't want to just say, oh, well, you know, the these sort of mid-table <laughs> teams are were just too good for us, oh, well, because, um, because you know, we have a, a, a multi-title winning <laughs> coach in charge, yeah. Um, but I do want to give props to them first off. Um I, I I so Conte after the game um was quite calm on the situation. Um he said that after Brighton they spent the week preparing for, you know, dealing with a team who were setting up to deny access to a front three or game. Um and I guess maybe if, if the preparations focus that heavily in that kind of area and then you have a team that are actually gonna come out more of an aggressive press and look to look to turn over on the pass that maybe you're you're misprepared for that game um although maybe that's more like what the second half looks like anyway from Brentford um and so we should have been better there there's I mean the, th- the thing is like the the first half was was Brentford being really good I think really really well set up really well prepared defensively really strong energy from them the second half was just flat from Tottenham I felt I think we could have taken the second half um maybe we maybe we uh weren't actually very mentally strong in this game maybe I think we um we didn't really push for it in the second half and maybe we could have done um and we were sort of feeling bad about the last mm. you know three halves of football prior to that point mm. I did expect us to to grab a winner I just thought I thought Same. Brentford had done I thought Brentford had done okay you know I don't think Brentford are this magical team they they they're a little bit they do what whatever they do good they do well they're a bit like Burnley in that sense it's that they're really good at set pieces they're really good at um, the throw-ins and the corners and applying pressure but I was never really concerned that they were they were going to create something other than through a set piece or through chaos and I just thought as the game wore on we would we would get control of that and we would turn it around to our favour and I still had faith all the way through that we were we were going to win it and as the ball kind of floated up to Kane and he he got ready for that overhead I just thought that's, I, I honestly thought that was that was a goal and that would have been just a brilliant brilliant piece but I think I think the problem with not having Doherty is Emerson at least Doherty can kind of step into midfield and make another like he becomes almost like a central midfielder and his passing is a bit better it's a bit more accurate it's a bit crisper it's a bit more progressive I just think I think Emerson is, is just and I don't want to keep shitting on Emerson also he, he's a defensive fullback in a 4-4-2 and that's you know he's not ever going to be anything else he's not versatile He's really not no. a versatile player. He's worse under pressure than I thought he would be, though. Same. Like, yeah. that's where I'm really disappointed with him. Like, fair enough. Like, if we're in a situation, remember the Watford game, that was where the the tide really turned against him. Mm. If we're in a situation where it's like, oh, he's getting into the final third and he's not putting in good balls, like, you know, fair enough that you can say, 
we we changed coach and we changed tactical ideas and, and and there's a problem there and that's not his fault. But looking at the way he's playing under pressure, looking at his ability to contribute to build up play, that's where I'm really disappointed in him yeah. and disappointing in that signing. Yeah, I think so. And I thought we actually played better when Davinson came on and we went and then we moved Davies as a left wing back. I just thought Davies gave us a little bit more kind of the Doherty wing back style or that his passing is fine. His his understanding of the game is good. And I, I do think I do think it's a problem. And I'm not sure where Conte goes for the rest of the season now with these fullbacks. I don't see there being an upturn in form from, from Royale. He's just not it's not going to click for him in the same kind of way it clicked for Doherty. It's just not for him. And I think at left back we're going to continue to see either Reggion or Session start in rotation uh, with one of them coming on or off according to according to fitness but I, I think I think we need to flag Hjoyberg here and I, I know yeah, I can see I, I thought he was fine I thought he like he was one of our better players on the day for me but the problem is him being fine is is the problem like he needs to be better and this is my issue with Hjoyberg is oh all well and good in certain when the when the game is all right for him and it's nice and open he's fine but in these kind of matches he just he doesn't offer us any kind of creativity nothing <laughs> I thought Ben Tanker, and you'll probably throw a stat at me now, but I thought Ben Tanker, at least I had the impression that something was going to happen when he had the ball. And I had faith that his passing would, would lead to something. Hjoyberg, I just, I, I never get that. Maybe that's bias. Honest, I, think... I honestly felt the exact opposite. I felt I felt like Hjoyberg whipped, like he was... Um... Were you going to say he whipped something? Whipped, yeah, he, he whipped a few balls around the corner quickly forward. Oh. And there was the only player to actually put some zip on his passes. Because like, I, I was thinking to myself, I was watching the game with my with my parents. Um, and it was lovely to watch a game with them. Um, it, yeah, and it should, it should have been such a fun occasion. And Is your mum fully coys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Parents are both fully coys. And um, and we're all getting very frustrated and just a bit like, oh my God, this is not how any of us expected this to go. And a lot of the time, I'm just like, games are decided 90% on tactics and everything else is is just whatever. But in this occasion, there were, you know, there was definitely a tactical element. So Brentford did a really, really good job of of counter-pressing and stopping us, stopping the, the layback and then the ball forward. But there were times when we had the ball in, in reasonable areas and we were so slow in possession, unacceptably slow, I think. It's just a lack of tempo. And I felt like Hjoibio was the only one who was trying to actually inject a bit of, you know, get up and go in some of the, the attacking moves. And, and I would equally pick on Kane and say the amount of times that he dawdled on the ball and took extra touches in midfield. Mm. Uh, so... So one of our um, ex-subs, Dan Voodoo Chopsticks, he has a theory that Kane is playing like injured Kane does, like he's not sure of himself, and therefore he's probably you know perhaps taking these aren't Dan's words; these are mine, uh, sort of taking it on a step further. But perhaps he's taking those touches because he doesn't have the same trust in his body at the moment to do the things he was doing a couple of weeks back, and uh, he 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 took a whack against Villa. And then Robert Sanchez, the Brighton goalkeeper, fell awkwardly on Kane's ankle and he limped away from that tackle looking um, like he was really struggling. And I'm not saying he's he's injured, but I'm not saying he's not injured either. I think I think that's a, a pretty good theory. Um, it was a very sort of lacklustre display. And I, I agree with Nathan. I think uh, we were feeling sorry for ourselves a lot. Uh, after after Brighton and maybe the players were like well we've seen what happens here and couldn't then sort of overcome that in the in the mm. Brentford match which was really disappointing having said that Bardi's right you know that that Kane effort pff, 
it was really close to flying in the bottom corner and, and we'd have ground out at a, a, an unwarranted and unlikely one to win and, and we'd be feeling so different about things right now. They they I mean they had they had their opportunities. They hit the post twice. Yeah. We had a couple of block shots. Brentford were good. Um, they were good. And this we is neat. Like Brentford were without Literally five first choice players were were unavailable for Brentford. You know they, they're not well beaters, but A is a good defender and and Pinnock's a good centre back. Kamnos is their is their right wing back normally, and Onyeka's their midfield sort of defensive player, and Norgard's Mister Reliable for them in midfield. So this wasn't a full strength Brentford team by any stretch, and and we were second best for the majority of the game. It is a concern, and I I, I don't want to be. Um, I don't want to project forward at this point. I think we just need to see how the Leicester match goes because there's no point, you know, we've got a whole summer to be doom and gloom. There's, there's no point when the season's still ongoing to be doom and gloom, I think. Uh, but this was a concern for sure. Yeah. And also me and uh, me and Chris spoke about it last week's son in these kind of games where you're not getting anything for son and Reddit got a bit upset accusing, accusing me of trying to sell son or get rid of son. <laughs> but I, I, I do think when, when the game is like this or for all of son's brilliance, his weakness is something that impacts the team. And sometimes I do think we need something other than son, someone who's better facing their own goal than son in these situations. And I, I thought that kind of showed, I would have liked to have seen perhaps Bergwijn get a, get a run out for son instead. So I, I wanted to talk to you both about this because that was what I was, screaming out for as well I, I thought Bergvine was the obvious sub we were really struggling to to get in behind Brentford and to stretch them and Bergvine's one of the best in the squad at making runs in behind his movement on the the sharp end is really good Conte just doesn't rate him does he? he can't rate him because if for god's sake this was the perfect opportunity to bring him on it's strange because apparently Conte blocked or decided against his transfer in January after he scored twice against Leicester was incredible and then we just haven't seen him again. And I mean, yeah, I, I, Son had a really poor game. I also think that, yeah, Bergvine can run him behind. But other than that, like Son is very, very much in a tier of his own in terms of his ability mm, to, to, sure. to threaten him behind in this squad. And I, for that reason, I kind of never really want him off the pitch. Sure. Um, but I think that, um, I think the, I think that it's crazy how little of Bergvine we've seen since the Leicester game. Like the fact that he isn't just coming on at 60 minutes for whoever mm. match after match mm. after match is, mm. is so wasteful of his talents and, and, um, and seeing as much of Lucas as we've seen is, is similarly ridiculous. You know, I, uh, I'm really disappointed with, with the substitutions. Um, I think that I am ready to see something a little more creative at, at wing back, whether that's Kulusevsky or whatever, or I don't know, um, uh, experimenting with the back four or, um, I don't know. I don't know. Something, something <laughs> other than what we, what we're seeing at the moment. Cause Royale, um, just looks so poor. And I appreciate that, like, his confidence is shot to bits, but he's got to, he's got to work himself out of that, to be honest. He's got to mm-hmm. just be a lot calmer on the mm-hmm. ball. Um, which again is something that I thought was was a strength of his. Looking at his his it, play, it, it may well be in the future, but he's in such a bad place right now. Yeah, yeah. And we saw that with Doherty as well. You know, he looked an absolute nightmare on the ball uh, just a matter of weeks ago. Yeah, confidence that's, that's is such true. a huge thing. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, I I, I remember doing a, a La Celsa video and watching the team be afraid to pass the ball to Doherty just as they are afraid mm. to pass it to Royale now. You mm-hmm. know, so. So maybe that's something that can be flipped on his head, but it's not happening right now, is it? So I think that um, we need to come up. We we can't. Who are we playing next? Leicester. Leicester. 
Leicester, we've got to go into the Leicester game with a different idea of what we're going to do at right wing back and 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 be be a little bold and experimental there if we need to be. Maybe that doesn't happen till half time even, but, um, I, 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 but I do, some kind of preparation. I think there'll be something. I think at the very least it'll be Sessegnon on the right and Regulon on the left. I mean, and I think that would be a better, I think that'll be a better selection than this, the, the last two selections, personally. And so Stephen says, Conte really has no plan B, her. And, um, uh, Bardi, I know you still you still really harbour a grudge against Pochettino for starting Fazio in that in that cup match against Arsenal. <laughs> I will never forget that day. So so, so Sanchez for Sessegnon on seventy four minutes as our first sub is my mm. is my Pochettino Fazio moment for Conte. I no I think way. I think this is one of the worst substitutions I have ever seen as a Spurs I fan. So I don't... Conte said after the game that. Um, it's because Brentford was so threatening from their set pieces and throw-ins that he wanted and wasn't clearly wasn't happy with what Sessegnon was doing in his set piece roles that he wanted he wanted Davinson on to be a you know good in the air and, and Davies to be an upgrade in Sessegnon in that area. But also we were drawing the game against a like low mid table, <laughs> like maybe even relegation threatened team. So Horrend- I think Sessegnon can have no no complaints about being taken. Off. Oh, for sure, for sure. I've got no issue whatsoever with Sessegnon coming off. I think it was Sessegnon or Emerson had to come off, and but I'd have done it earlier personally, not seventy four yes. minutes. Uh, but Sanchez coming on, I think, is indefensible. I mean, I, I get it. He's worried about set pieces. You know, we might lose the game, but we also might win the game if you make a positive change, right? And and we just in the few minutes before that, we'd seen Davis really getting forward well from centre back and doubling up on that side and creating another threat for Brentford to worry about. Um, and and I liked Davis in this game, uh, the left centre back position. I thought he was doing a really adequate job. Don't get me wrong, did absolutely fine at, at left wing back as well. But why not bring why not bring Lucas or Bergvine on at left wing back, or switch to a back four, or do something different? Leaving it till the seventy fourth minute and bringing on a centre back. And a centre-back who's not comfortable playing on the left as well. Let's be clear about that. Sanchez is mm. not a good ball-playing centre-back, oh, and yeah. especially what not the left. About? I thought that was an indefensible substitution, personally. I mean, a couple, couple of things here. I've, I mean, I've never heard you go all your dad's Twitter before, Wendy, so I, I, I kind of enjoy that. But um, th- the other thing is, this selection crime doesn't even make the top 10 of, um, of Pochettino's selection crime. We could, we, could spend, we could do a whole podcast on those disasters. But I thought, this isn't me because I like Sanchez and I've, I, I, you know, I criticise him enough. I thought we looked better with um, Davies at left wing back. I just thought yeah. I just thought the team had more balance, and he wanted to keep his back free, so he put in he put in Sanchez. Maybe we should have gone to a back four. Maybe we should have done that. But then then you have the whole problem of Dyer in a back four. I thought he left it a bit late to make the substitution. If if it was all about set pieces, he could have done this. I don't know. Yeah. After after twenty minutes, right, but, um, right. I didn't think it was that bad. It was a little bit late. The Lucas for Emerson was way too late. And as we said, maybe Bergwijn should have come on at some point or Winks for one of the midfield duo. That's the other thing. Not using a third substitute in the match where we're struggling that much is just insane to me. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I think he's going to have to be a little bit uh, less risk averse. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think if we don't get fourth, 
then we'll we'll look back at this game and this will be the moment that that things you know really no. took a turn. No, no, no. No, because no. if we'd if we'd no. won that match, we'd be in such a strong position now. But the reason why we're not getting fourth is we appointed Nuno Spirito Santo at the start of the season. <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, I think that's sure. A, that's that's but, easier to accept. But, but you know, where we are now, where we were before the Brentford game, you know, I fully expect us to beat Brentford. If we'd beaten Brentford, we would be in a really strong position. Brentford are severely weakened by injuries to five key first team players and I thought the management was substandard I really thought the management of that game was substandard I think Conte is a wonderful manager uh I'm I'm not happy with how he how he managed that game I I I hear your frustrations I'm a little calmer on the whole situation Mm. I think that things are still developing um maybe you think I'm clutching at straws we have been like strong defensively for a while now and that does extend to the last two games you know um considering where we come from in, in that in that regard um, I think I think these things will be ironed out, um, and I do think that the Bogs Brighton and Brentford gave us difficult things to overcome. Um, I think as long as as long as um, Conte now makes a bold yes. decision with with what's going to happen at wing back, then then I'm understanding of the sort of faltering over the last couple of games. Um, and I think I still think fourth is very much on for us. Yeah. I don't like. Like, but Buddy tweeted this the other day that like we we won a bunch of games on the bounce and we're like well, we're gonna win the league next yeah. year and now we've like we've drawn and we've lost and it's oh my god we're gonna finish seventh and um, you know Conte and Kane are gonna leave and everything else so um, oh that's a good point is this in the running order um, <laughs> I haven't looked at the running order um, yeah okay it's in later it's in later okay but I think I think. When we won those four games in a row and we scored all those goals, it was brilliant. And I, we are at a situation, I think, where with this team and with Conte, when it works, it's, it's going to work brilliantly. But as we yeah. kind of said when he joined, when it doesn't work, it's not going to work and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be horrible. And I kind of think that's where we are now. We are where we should be after six, seven months of Conte with no preseason, no preseason and not having his players. That's where we are. And I think we shouldn't be surprised about this. This is what we suspected to happen. And I think it will continue to happen will we win the next five games maybe but I don't think we've won five games in a row since um 2018-19 early season when we're still at Wembley maybe and um it's a problem but I don't think Arsenal are going to win five games in a row either but yeah uh, it's um it's tough now it's tough we we did lose it's the problem is it's been exacerbated by the fact that Arsenal won games that we didn't expect them to win yeah and that's that's really what's come down to once again we're comparing ourselves to somebody else and um we're all losing our minds I mean, I also do think that um, we are a team for whom momentum is such an important facet at the moment with the sort of the way the squad is in terms of self its self-belief and the, the amount they truly believe in the tactics and yeah. think they're going to roll teams over. And we saw, you know, that momentum served us so well. Um, and we saw, you know, Sessignon's such a, a good example of that, I think, because when he was getting regular games... He looked really nervous for the first game. He looked slightly improved for the second game. And then he looked really good for the third game. And it's like he just has to learn to trust himself a little bit more with each game. And then he finally gets there. And then he gets injured, of course. And in this game, he was little mm. boy lost again. And he just looked like he was so shy. He didn't want to receive the ball. When he did receive it, he was apologizing before he'd even kicked it, you know? And I think Cessna is such a talent. But but um, but mentally, Fragile. there's a lot of work to do there. Uh, we, we can't carry a player... Uh, who who has to be built up for two or three games before he gets to to, to stand to decent performance levels. Uh, and, and if he'd come in in the run where we were doing well, I think it would probably be a different story. But he he he's he's come in against 
he's coming against uh, Brentford after the the Brighton shambles, and it's um, it was tough for him. He was not good. He was really not good. Yeah, I think I think you're on something there. I think for Cesson Young, he's the kind of player who like he's eventually going to find his feet, you know, in his mid twenties, um, and like and thrive. I think as a player when he yeah, gets he's to that talented stage. for sure. But like it's how it's how long we can wait around mm-hmm. for that, you know, and 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 pay his wages and use up his squad place and all of that kind of stuff. I really want the best for him, but this is frustrating to be honest. Um, there's a really poor performance from him. Jamie T says, in terms of priorities for the summer, how high up is a good set piece coach on that list? Um, I've, I'm, I'm always calling for this. Um, the thing is that, like, you, you don't have to prioritize it at all. This, this, this is the thing I'm always saying. Is like, yeah, of course we need um, improvements to wing back, um, an additional quality centre back. Of course we need creativity in central midfield. Of course we need a backup to Harry Kane. Um, and after all of that, you can pay, you know, two hundred k a year <laughs> for like a really high quality because there isn't like huge demand even for a really high quality or. Get two or three in, you know. Get yeah, two hundred k a year for for, for set piece coach. Pretty good wages. I might quit, <laughs> quit my day job and just start taking some courses. But I'm, so, you know, compared to what you're playing, yeah, Ryan Sessegnon to be terrified of football. Mm. You know, um, I used to that Matt Doherty used to be the example for that. Damn, <laughs> I do watching them um, watching Liverpool at the weekend. If even the way Alexander Arnold throws the ball mm-hmm. in a throw in, have you seen the way mm-hmm. he grips it? totally different to anybody else and just just train him how to take throw-ins just train him how to cross the ball it was interesting they have a what, specialist throwing coach yeah but he that specialist throwing coach works at multiple clubs not just Liverpool mm-hmm. and the interesting thing was you see um, the the Brentford free uh, corners never near post he was just going back post back mm-hmm. post as well so Ericsson mm-hmm. can beat the front post if he wants to and find his man as a mm. result because it's played and there's movement off the ball that's pre-planned. Yeah, really yeah. good routines. Tony drifting away at the back post and it, twice it found him. Um, really, really. And effective. he played it back across. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not it's not Ericsson being rubbish at corners. It's just us being rubbish at coaching or coming up with plans for corners. Yeah. So so he just resorted to the most common type of corner, which is flat near post deliveries. Yeah. He's good at them. The thing is, like Ericsson's a good player of the ball Ericsson's not a good set piece coach right and the problem is that we were leaving Ericsson to be the set piece coach and he's going to say well I'm going to put it here and I guess you guys just do whatever you know that Eric make (laughs) a run Eric make a run right yeah so um any any strong feelings about Ericsson after this game I desperately wanted Ericsson before the game. I desperately want Ericsson now. I think he is such a no-brainer signing. It's 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 a hand in a glove. It's perfect. It makes so much sense in every possible way. Agreed. And with five subs, it makes even more sense. Oh yeah, it's just ideal. He's yeah, and I think um, if yeah, we're going to qualify for Europe, aren't we? Don't know yet which competition it'll be. We're going to need a, a, a bigger squad and more and more trusted. A squad that's a larger squad where all the players are trusted, and Ericsson can be a part of that. It makes so much sense. It was great to see him get such a good reception and kind of uh, and enjoy that reception as well. Um, just to go back briefly to the set piece point, 
I'm, I, I mean, there, there's no time, is there, to, to spend that much time on set pieces in, in the week, especially when you're playing two games a week. So it doesn't even necessarily need to be someone who's there full time. This could be a part time post. This can be a something you do over the summer even or and get them back in a couple of times a year. But do you remember... Um, when when we got Santini and Martin Yol, uh, we also hired a, a technical coach called Ricardo Moniz, who was mm. uh, brought in to, to to be a skills coach to teach the the coaches how to train skill, and that wasn't just at uh, the first team level; that was throughout the club. So he he worked a lot with the academy and with the reserves, as it, as they were then. I think a set piece coach could do the same. You bring in someone who can work with with all age groups and improve set piece work for all age groups at Spurs and all of the players benefit from that. I don't see a downside. I think it's absolutely crazy that we, I mean, maybe, we, maybe, maybe we're not giving Spurs credit and they already have a set piece coach. It looks unlikely based upon Fire the output. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Get rid. The thing is that like, as is the default position, the set piece coach is your head coach and his assistant. So you're you're calling for Conte's head. That's what you're doing right now. Yeah, my my wife, whenever she sees Tottenham have a corner, where she happens to wander past the TV, she goes, "Not going to be a goal." <laughs> she's just like she's she's convinced Tottenham are the worst team at corners. Yeah, she's right. Um, what got me was during the week they released all the social media clips of all these all these plebs whipping the ball in and over the over the yellow um, fake wall, and then we get a free kick, and it was one of the worst crosses I've ever seen. I think it was Sun tried to do an outswing. Oh God, yeah, that was horrific. I mean, oh, it, no, it was the, quite the, late. The worst one was the corner where Son inexplicably played it short to Sessignon, who then messed up the pass back to Son, and they, they they got the ball back immediately. It was just painful, absolutely just painful to watch. Absolute misery of it. It's just come on. Just it's late in the game. Just just buy James Ward Prowse. Just <laughs> just do it. I'm all in. I'm all on board. That I mean, he's not a, a worse passer than Schoeberg. I'm sure he can run around might... the points and fill that, fill those boots. And then he could take a free kick. He scored nine free kicks this year, man. He would be our what? Our second top goal scorer if he was at our club. <laughs> so, third, so you mentioned yeah, you mentioned second. the um, you mentioned the free kick video, Bardi, and the the yeah. best free kick in that video was taken by Harvey White, who I believe to be the best set piece taker at the club. Uh, Conte name checked him last week. Nothing, not at a minute, and and Spurs are trying to farm him out to a League One club on loan next season. By all accounts, I think actually none of them were good set pieces in that video mm. because the wall is four foot tall and doesn't yeah. jump. So yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I've um, had me and Harry Brooks. We 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 disagree on a lot of stuff, but we we've created a a new company called JumpingWall.com, mm. and uh, we're going to build a wall that jumps and sell it to Tottenham. <laughs> In the version two, the Pro Max edition, uh, they're going to jump independently at Ooh, different heights as well. Yeah, that's quite a few pistons you're going to have to put in that mm-hmm. in that one. But I can see that working. Almost like a what's that? What's that musical thing that goes up and down? Yeah, I don't know. If it, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, <laughs> what? I'm just seeing tubes. What, what, what is that musical thing that goes up and down? An organ. An organ. Maybe an organ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not musical. I'm here. I'm here for the words, not the music. <laughs> Uh, 
Adamalist says, could it be that Conte won't implement a plan B until the players believe 100% in plan A? Otherwise, what did they work on all week? I mean, what top manager has a, has a significant plan B? I, I, I struggle to think of one. Maybe we saw the weekend Klopp put on Origi, but that's hardly, mm. I wouldn't count that as a plan B. I think most clubs, most top managers have their plan and maybe they just alternate per- personnel or make little tweaks here and there. I'm not sure we're going to see Conte at halftime switch to 4 4 2 just just because it's not working. It just doesn't happen. Plan B is you you chuck on Peter Crouch or Lorente and hope for the best. That's And that is not a plan in itself. So you said, Buddy, how many teams have a plan B? And um, and what I'm going to say back to you is mm-hmm. uh, the, the two teams that we've played in the last two matches have had a, a specially devised but plan to play very Tottenham. Different. That's very different because you're talking about Brighton and Brentford who are mid-table teams and are able and have that have that luxury to be able to adjust according to their opponents because they're the smaller team. Whereas with Tottenham, you Tottenham, Manchester City, Liverpool, they have their way of playing and that's it. And they just go through teams by playing that style because they're really good at it or their players are really good at implementing it. I don't think you can beat Tottenham Hotspur and continually adjust your tactics to match who you're playing. Would you want Spurs to change their formation according to Brentford? It's not. It's, it would never. It just won't happen. And especially not with Conte. This is this man is a lunatic. This man believes that he's God's gift to football management. He's not going to change his tactics for Potter or some guy with long hair and a beard. It's just not going to happen. I do, I do wonder. Um, I, firstly, yes, I completely agree with what you're saying for the most part. There, I think. Um, like what does what does Plan B exist as? Is it is it a change of formation? Is it a, a weird wing back choice? Because the thing is that like often, in fact, remember back to early Pochettino, uh, we'd lose to Liverpool every time we played them because they would turn over our position from the back, mm. and we'd say, why won't we play Plan B? Why won't we play Plan B? Why won't we sit deep and play on the counter? First of all, that's kind of what we're already doing with Conte a lot of the time. So I don't know where you go. As a plan B from there, you go to Moore's stabled and settled possession. Um, but eventually, after like five years, we then started to do that. We beat Liverpool at Wembley. We beat Dortmund and Real Madrid playing the same like medium low block on the counter kind of thing. So I do think there's some some point to the question there because that's what you saw with Pochettino, right? Install plan A for several years have that as the, and then you can more easily go back to it and maybe we failed to go back to that after the point you think about a Champions League run mm-hmm. being playing that kind of way and then trying to return to possession football and, but and wasn't that us being the underdogs sacked. so those teams you, you mentioned were, sure. were giants and we adjusted our style to play against them sure yeah I think that's true I think that's true I, I think that that was also true of, of the games against Liverpool in the prior seasons the games against City as well maybe but also um, so I think there's some truth to that but I think that for the most part plan B with Conte is in the minor details is in the switches and we are seeing them and he said you know we worked all week on how to play against Park Bus and how to find Kulisewski and Son um, and get you know deep in the opposition half and so that's kind of what plan B is and that's kind of what we <laughs> we didn't see it because it's not how the match materialised but I think that um I mean, yeah, if you're talking about like a big overarching change of tactical philosophy, no, you won't ever see that with Conte um, because that's just not even a, 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 a kind of different tactical philosophy in which is much more um, sort of player decision based. You just that's never going to materialize. And there isn't even a way to just be like, 
hey guys, uh, you know how for the last however many months I've been instructing you to play these patterns in the second half, just go out and um, just do whatever really like that, that <laughs> like that. I, I, the way to turn that off like that because it's so like unconsciously drilled. Um, it's not something that you can just switch to. So that doesn't really exist. Um, so no, you're never going to see that. Um, but the minor tweaks are happening all the time, I think. Mm. And it's, you see it all the time with Guardiola when he comes up against a team and they can't break him down. People are like, why don't they just chuck a big man on, have a plan B? But that's, mm. that's, not, that's not it. Yeah, I just don't see Conte do it. The only big manager that I can think of that, that does it is Jose Mourinho, but that's because he starts every game from the place of the small club. That's just his mentality and way of doing it. He's the only one that will play 45 minutes one way and then decide to change it all for the next 45 minutes. But as I said, that's because he operates from a place of weakness rather than uh, a place of strength. I do. I, I think I um, agree with what Nathan's saying about the the plan being plan B being tweaks rather than a comprehensive plan change. Uh, and, and I think that was my frustration in this game that I just didn't see many tweaks. So the, the, in the second half, Ben Davis got forward more and, and um, we tried to create more overloads on the left. That was pretty much the only tweak I saw. I think Romero could have been forward a lot more than, than he was. Like we've seen him in previous games be allowed to roam a lot more. We could also have brought Kulisevsky out to wing back. We could even have brought Bergwijn on and dropped Kane into central midfield. I mean, the way the game is going, I don't think that would have been a bad move at all because I think Kane could play central midfield. He's got the qualities to play central midfield. So you bring Bergwijn on and you play him up front, you ask him to stretch the defence and suddenly Kane's got more room to work in, in behind. Um, but he just wasn't, for whatever reason, he wasn't particularly bold with his decision-making. And as you say, Nathan, the decision he did make was to bring on a player to help defend set pieces. Mm. I I think the one thing I'd like to have seen more of um, against Brentford, against Brighton, um, going way back to Conte's first few matches as well, is more often um, removing the wing backs from build up entirely, yeah. having them push all yeah. the way forward into the opposite totally back agree. line, and playing over the top from from deep a little more often. Um, now we've seen that fail. We we've seen us have a bad time with that and just continue to lose possession, but. I'd still like to see it from time to time, just especially when you know Royale and Sessegnon were getting turned over and 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 fluffing so much, you know, in their in their own half. Um, I would more often like to see us um, remove them from build up and have them just be options, and then maybe we see K because I haven't seen a ton. I I I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree with Dan um, that Kane looks injured. I don't agree with the narrative about him like going off and playing golf. Um, he doesn't look sluggish to me anymore. Uh, but we haven't seen a ton of him coming towards the play over the last couple of matches. Uh, I wonder if that's a tactical idea that's been recently introduced and I think possibly to the negative. Um, but I'm talking about in the situation where you push your wing backs up and remove them from build up, I think Kane comes deep more in those situations. I think what would have helped us is um, is a midfielder like Skip, someone that can carry the ball forward. I think I think he would have helped us. Joyberg just doesn't do that, and I think it's something a little bit different. Sometimes perhaps Bentanko and and Joyberg are too similar, and something a little bit different in centre midfield might have worked. I'd like to have seen more carrying from mm. Bentanko in yeah. in his time at Tottenham, to be honest. Yeah. So when Bardi said earlier you're going to whip out a stat on me uh, when we were talking about Hoybier, I, I did I, I did pull up some some data and uh, so in this game, um, so if I start with the passing, uh, progressive pass distance Hoybier three ninety Bentancur two six three. So we're talking about 
an extra 50% from Huibia, more progressive passing from Huibia. But if you're looking at um, progressive carries, Bentancur 205, uh, this is meters, I assume, and and uh, Huibier 94. So so basically, Bentancur is carrying the ball forward more in a progressive way, and Huibier is passing the ball forward more uh, in a progressive way. So it, it's quite an interesting stylistic difference. I, I agree with Nathan. We could have had more carrying in this game for sure. I think partly, you know, Kulisevsky was really crowded. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so, sorry, what I was going to say earlier, and I completely forgot, is when I was talking about how we wouldn't notice a downgrade on Dotti too much because we're in such a good place that it won't make a difference. The real difference to me has been the relationship between Kulisevsky and Emerson compared to the relationship yeah. between Kulisevsky and Dotti, which I felt was a really blossoming understanding it's just not there with Emerson and uh, Kulisevsky. And it has the impact on Romero as well. We didn't sure. see Romero go go wandering up because he just doesn't have that on that right-hand side. They don't have the relationship. There's the goal we scored against Villa where I described it like a train track just motoring down the right-hand side and all three of them were involved. And yeah, it just doesn't, it's just, they just don't have that connection at the moment. For sure. So we've talked, we've spoken quite a bit on this podcast about uh, about Pochettino. What's going on there? Um, a, a pretty baseless, uh, un, uh, unsupported, unverified, unseconded uh, rumor about a, a manager swap between PSG and Tottenham. So it's, it's it's felt like a bad fit, PSG and Pochettino from from day one. Really, he's won them a league, uh, but the suggestion is that PSG want rid of Pochettino, and of course, what that means is PSG need a new top level elite manager to come in and uh, fail to make their players press. Uh, and perhaps they're going to try for Conte. I mean, I, I just don't see Conte, Neymar, and Messi getting on at all. Also, like. Their whole thing is they win, they walk the league every season. That's not a problem. Pochino just did it, and they're going to sack him. Um, they want someone who's going to win the Champions League. They're going to ring in Conte, who's a league specialist who <laughs> who's won three out of fifteen games in the Champions League in his history. 
<laughs> so I'm not really sure what the thinking is there, to be honest. I think it's it's just one of these rumours that it, it's an easy time to do it. Sunday night, not much happening. Let's just create something. Po- Pochettino's getting sacked. He's got literally nowhere else to go in the world. Let's just, let's just make up some noise. And everybody's complaining. Conte needs to sign a contract. He needs to commit to the club. Didn't he just sign a contract seven months ago? He's got another season left on his contract, plus an extension that's available there. I think that's quite a long time to have a top-level manager committed to the club for. And I think it's just people putting two and two together and just getting five and just thinking and wishing that Pochettino comes back. I'm going to choose to not be bothered about this either way because whatever happens, we end up with a world-class manager. Yeah. yeah. Firstly, I think that the rumours are, are, are difficult to put too much credit into. And secondly, there isn't a wrong solution to this. So I sort of don't have especially strong feelings. Yeah, If Conte I... goes, we'll get a decent compensation fee from PSG and, and then Pochettino will be available for free. So... <laughs> I want to see Conte have a pre-season, get his mm. players, and then go for it. Oh, it would be really annoying if he left now for PSG. I think a lot of people would think that was quite a cowardly thing for him to, to do at this stage in his uh, Spurs career. But, you know, when, when PSG, with their many millions come calling, difficult to resist, I guess. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's happening on the Patreon. Um it's been a quiet week. I've had the week from hell, literally had one of the worst weeks of my life, to be honest. So it's been a little bit quiet. Uh, but we, we're going to do a live Q&A, hopefully soon. Um, Nathan, what are you working on at the moment? <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't have internet for a week. I'll download. I downloaded the Brighton game in full so I could examine what they did. And I downloaded a bunch of set pieces so I could do those offline and upload them when I had connection. And then I've just spent the whole week um, moving things around <laughs> like from the moment i wake up to the moment i go to sleep just moving furniture so um yeah <laughs> so uh, i don't know do i do i do set pieces or do i do the do i push on with left back stuff i have been doing a little bit of 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 uh left back work i crossed out some names i have some yeah okay maybe maybe i maybe i do left backs return to left backs this week i guess especially on the back of session young's performance mm. yeah and i think i i think regulon as well has has not stepped up to play this left wing back role very effectively i think <clears throat> regulon is a passable player but again for me much better in a back four he has less responsibility to create and i think left back will become an essential in the summer if it's not already and Bardi, you've got masses of emails about people wanting to write for us. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Now you can stop emailing now. We'll, we'll, we'll put out another request in a few weeks. Thank you very much. I've been in touch with a few people. Still a few more to get back to. We'll be looking at doing a newsletter. And those that don't make it into the newsletter will go into the blog. Um, on my holiday away, I finished another book. So we've got two book reports coming up in the next couple of weeks. I also wanted to remind people to listen to our bonus episode called Sports Psychology Uncertainty. Uh, So we we put out bonus episodes every now and again. And simply by being flagged as a bonus episode, they get far fewer listens than our regular episodes. And I think the sports psychology stuff that we do with Alex Stoyle, who is a, a sports psychologist and Spurs fan, I think it's really good stuff. I think Alex is absolutely brilliant and he's very easy to listen to. Uh, so I'd urge you to, if you've not heard the Sports Psychology episode, go back and give that a listen. And I also wanted to give a, a shout out to Lynx or GTFO on Reddit, uh, who is the one that beefed with Bardi about, uh, about or one of the people that beefed with Bardi about the Son comment. Uh, he actually well, said, yeah. 
He fired here shots at everybody here, not just not just me. Yeah, yeah. He said that we have some of the most ridiculous takes that it's hard to take us seriously. Um, but he did back <laughs> down a little bit when I pressed him on it and kind of like allowed the... Fa- so the, 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 the takes that he specified were that Delhi is actually a class player and his shortcomings are because of position manager injuries, etc. instead of him just not yep. being skilled enough. I stand by that. I, I mean, I think Delhi in the right team is just goes back to being old Delhi and, and that is a wonderful player. Uh, I'd like to distance myself from that one. <laughs> Uh, the, the, his second one was that uh, our take about Luke, that Lucas should have been sold back before we signed Kulusevski. I stand by that as well. I'd, I'd sell Lucas tomorrow, but I think he's you know absolutely near the top of the list of players we should sell in the summer. And, and the third one was that Son should be replaced. And I don't, I don't think Bardi actually said that. I think what Bardi was saying was that Scon, Son's skill set was perhaps less suited to the Brighton game, and therefore we need an alternative to Son. Although Bardi does have a tendency to want to sell our best players. So does Nathan. I put in the notes there. It's a little bit me, a little bit Nathan. But I think selling our players when they're at their peak is something that we should be doing better. Mm. Sure, but that wasn't... You You sort of, with Chris, you raised the discussion point around Sun's strengths and weaknesses and you explicitly mm. said the opposite. You explicitly said, I'm not saying we should sell Sun. I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. we should... Like, obviously, Sun's brilliant and has to start. It's, it's like, that's what you said. And that, yeah. of course, that's my position too. It's just acknowledging that his weaknesses to the system and the limitations that give us and how we can tactically plan and where and when you might sub him or not I don't know <laughs> I gotta say Chris Somerset was very slippery he, he, I tried to lure him up a hill or two but he's, he's just too smart for me <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't bait him into a hot take so links or GTFO I hope we've um, done your post justice <laughs> why are we engaging with this uh, I thought it was funny I thought it was funny it's a Spurs it's a Spurs podcast True. and we record every week there's going to be some bad takes you know not from me <laughs> not from Barty uh, Joel Brooks <laughs> says so without wishing to throw too much shade on Real is Marcel Lavinia ready for first team football similarly Phil Mayo says any chance you could give a quick rundown on Lavinia's profile and projection wingbacks obviously an issue and with his inclusion in the team I wonder what if anything we might expect from him with Dotty out so Lavinia was on the bench for the Brighton game, but not for the Brentford game, which was quite interesting, I thought. Um, I don't think Lavinia is is a Spurs-level player. Uh, he's a young player. He's, he's pretty much untested. He's someone we picked up from Chelsea. He was, I think, released by Chelsea's by Chelsea and then signed for Spurs shortly after. He's not a bad player at all. He's, he's perfectly um, confident competent as a player he's fine uh not in my opinion someone who's going to be a spurs player for the future i suspect we might loan him out to a kind of league one-ish side next year maybe to build some value and then sell him i, th- I think it'd be unfair to throw him in right now personally although if he did come in i don't think he'd do terribly i think he'd be absolutely adequate um in the same way that royale's not tearing up trees you know nothing to get too excited about uh, Nathan, I wanted to ask you this one. It's been in the... We've got so many questions and we need to do a, another episode where we just bash through the questions. People are uh, constantly sending us stuff. But this one's been here for a while. It was from Harry Tatterson Stokes, who or Tateson Stokes. Sorry, Harry, if I've messed your name up. It says, for Nathan, I too am an adult who undoubtedly has ADHD but have never been diagnosed. I have a normal office job and for a number of reasons, getting an official diagnosis and being able to provide my place of work with this would be helpful for my targets and 
performance expectations. I don't even know where to start with this, though. Maybe a football pod isn't the best place to ask advice, but if you need some non-football chat to fill the beginning of the pod, feel free to let me know how you've gone about doing this, Nathan. Um, it's been really, really difficult. I uh, I did a bunch of research and stuff to to assert my confidence, and then I called up my GP, and my GP said, yeah, um, can't really do anything for you, though. Because in my county, they don't treat ADHD in adults. They consider it a learning difficulty. He said, if you'd, if you'd called back when you were a kid, we would have been able to get you some, some, um, you know, uh, learning difficulty support. But now you're an adult. Like I could push this through. I could get you a diagnosis and then that would be the end of our treatment. Um, so I have, um, been pushing through a referral to a a private care company called Psychiatry UK who I hopefully um if it goes through and I I'm, I'm now sort of haven't heard anything for a while but hopefully if this goes through and, and maybe I need to chase them up and just check that the referral has been been placed and I'm now on like a long like two year waiting list or whatever but I will then be able to sort of split the costs between the NHS and myself and I'll have to pay um a while up front and then my care once i've got the medication and the treatment that i'm i'm seeking i'll then be able to switch back to sort of you know uh nhs coverage um so it's been difficult it's been really difficult i now i'm actually in a different county where i'm living i'm considering whether it's worth making the switch or whether if the referrals already made where i'm going to be living in a year's time all that kind of stuff um but the thing so i i i had to um I had to fill out this form um, in order to um, get or push for the referral. And this is something that happens to me quite a lot with um, with any task that seems really big. I can't do it at all. I catastrophize about it. I My dissertation and similar difficult coursework, um, sometimes if my video is going to be like an hour long, I can struggle. I get really nervous and uneasy before recording. Um, moving house was like once I, st- and it, with all of these, once I get going, it's fine because I'm in the flow, but getting started with moving house, getting started with my, all of those kind of things, getting started with, with the longer articles I used to write. Um, I have like small breakdowns before doing them. And it was very much the case with the referral. And I had to lean on my parents and my girlfriend really, really hard. They had to drag me through this kicking and screaming because in order to get a referral for ADHD, you need to perform a bunch of tasks that people with ADHD can't do, right? Uh, so I had to, I had to get help. So I guess my first recommendation before calling your GP and praying that they actually care for people with, with various conditions in your, in your area is um if you have the people in your life that you can lean on ask for their help with it because I could not have done uh, I could not have got anywhere at all without my girlfriend's help on this thank you for sharing Nathan um just to add that that the, there are a number of people in the discord who have an ADHD diagnosis and are very open to talking about that um so if if people did people who are ex-ups wanted to come into the Discord and chat about it, there's a mental health thread uh, where where ADHD comes up a fair amount, uh, and there's a nice little supportive community there who are willing to kind of share ideas around treatment and whatnot. So so Harry, if 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 you wanted to come and join in, then it'd be great to have you there. Um, before we go, just to remind you to check out Humans of Purpose. Search for the podcast title on your podcast player. 
If you like it, make sure you hit the subscribe button and leave a review. And you can learn more about the show at humansofpurpose.com. And I totally forgot to say, I'm bald now. <laughs> You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.